And our scripture reading for this morning will be from 1 Peter chapter 3. The series that I'm normally preaching in the afternoon, I will do this morning since Pastor Prose will be leading the worship here this afternoon. So I've been, we've been working through 1 Peter uh, in the afternoon services for those of you who um, have been attending regularly. And we are, this morning we'll focus on chapter 3, and we'll, the focus will be on the first four verses. But I'd like to begin reading in chapter 2 and verse 18. So beginning reading at 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 18. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable if because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if, when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us in an example that you should follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives, when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart, with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. And as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers, be tender-hearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, and that you may inherit a blessing." For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. 
Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. This far the reading of God's word. And I believe I said it was, the text was chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, but it's actually only verses 1 and 2. Today's focus will be on verses 1 and 2 of chapter 3. So, dear congregation, through history, God has given us many examples of godly men and women, examples who themselves followed a great example of the Lord Jesus Christ. One of those who is well known, and her name is Monica, the mother of Augustine, who also had a husband who was not a believer, who was not a good husband by any means, and yet she remained faithful in many ways and prayed for them, insomuch that it was said that her husband, shortly before he died, also turned to the Lord, and Augustine also himself was saved. And he wrote later of his mother, and said of this of her, her that she served him, her husband, as her Lord, and did her diligence to win him unto God, preaching unto him by her conversation, her behavior, uh, which, by which thou adornest her, which God adorned her with, making her reverently amiable unto her husband. So even though her husband lived an immoral and a wicked life, yet by her life she was reverent and amiable unto her husband, a picture of the beauty of Christ. And in this light, Peter is also addressing Christian women to submit to their husbands, to be such an example of reverence and amiable conduct to them, even if they are unbelievers. And so our theme this morning is Christian submission to husbands. And the first question we can ask is, well, what is Peter saying? What does Peter require here? And if you look at chapter 3 and verse 1, it says, Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. Now, this word, be submissive, is, is a very strong term. It's even a military term to, to come under the authority of someone else. But we, we immediately see that there's also limitations to it because it says to your own husbands. So there's a limited scope that Peter is pointing out here to the Christian women, that it's to their husband to whom they are joined in the holy covenant of marriage, and that submission is limited to their husband. And it says, he says, likewise. So he's connecting this with what he has been talking about in the previous chapter, in the general theme of submission to authorities. And immediately at the, before this in chapter 2, <clears throat> he, he shows us how Christ himself was submissive to his role here on this earth. <clears throat> Excuse me. He, re, he records Christ's example when he suffered not only under the authorities of this world, but also when he submitted to the will of his Father in heaven 
for the purpose that he had been sent for. And he, he did no sin. That in that role he committed no sin, even though he received a lot of opposition and sin against him. It says he committed himself to God who judges righteously. And so from this we can see that this, this word submit, this term and order to submit is not demeaning. It's not degrading, it, it, but it has a noble purpose. It's part of God's created order. Christ submitted willingly. And so submission is, is something you do from a willing heart, from a, a loving heart, as Christ did to the will of His Father. And so here Peter is giving biblical advice for, for various spheres of authority in our society. In chapter 2, verse 13, he spoke about the ordinances of men, the, the governments that have been set up in society. In verses two, or chapter 2, verse 18, he spoke to servants or slaves, household servants being subject to their masters. And now here he says, likewise, here's another category, women or wives to their husbands. And so we think of God, he's created all things good in his sight, and everything has an authority structure built into it. And Paul refers to that in 1 Timothy 2, even when he speaks of, when, when he says, uh, speaks about the woman's role in a church, where he says that Adam was first created and then Eve. But when you think of Genesis 3, verse 16, after they fell into sin, and the Lord is addressing Adam and Eve, the Lord says to Adam, your, or to Eve, sorry, your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Other translations say this, you will want to control your husband, but he will dominate you. When Eve fell into sin, she bypassed her husband, and she was tempted by Satan and took the fruit. And even today, the wives can be tempted to assume an authority that God has not created you to bear. That would be an unnecessary burden for you to carry and not the one the Lord has designed you for. Husbands have been given a specific role in marriage and wives have been given a specific role. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, the head of every man is Christ, the head of the woman is a man, and the head of Christ is God. And so it's with this creation order in mind that, that Paul also says in Colossians 3, wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting or as is proper in the Lord. And so from, from these past passages and this one, we see that for society to function properly, there needs to be proper order. Family units are, are the building blocks of our society and the strength of the family begins with that bond between the husband and the wife in marriage. And the one duty that Peter here is specifying to wives is to reverence their husbands, to submit to the authority 
of their husbands. And that, as we'll see, is regardless of the circumstances in which they are. And so Peter is defining here the roles within marriage. And by defining the roles, he's not implying that one person is inferior to the other. He's not implying that husbands are better than wives. Or, but but there's, in, in the persons, there, there's an equality. Both have been created in the image of God. And yet, as far as their roles are, they've been given a specific task, an ordained place, and an ordained function in our life and in marriage. And God has equipped men and women for their specific roles. And so God calls us to to recognize this. So when, when God calls here women to submit their husbands, it does not mean that you're submitting to his person, his character, or to every thought that he has, but it's to the position of husband. It's to the authority that God has assigned to the husband. There's a role distinction for the order of society. And you can think of that as we, we look back at the government. There's government and citizens. There's masters and slaves. There's husbands and wives. And there's generals and there's soldiers. And it doesn't matter if the general's a good general or a mean general. The soldiers underneath him need to listen to his commands. They need to listen to his authority. Otherwise, there's chaos in the army. And so it is here with the husband and wife. And what Peter will bring out is that even if the husband is an unbelieving man, the wife still has a duty to submit to him, to his authority in that structure in the marriage. But I will say this as well, that it also requires submission on the part of the husband. Submission to God to willingly take up your duty and your responsibility then to be the primary leader in the home, to take up this God-given role of a leader, to lead your wife and children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And so really the greater burden falls on the husbands to be there for your wife so that she is able to entrust her life and her children to your care and your leadership. And this is why also in our society that distinction between man and woman, husband and wife, is so vital to the family, to society, to the well-being of our world. And the Marxist and the cancel culture uh, movements and the feminist movement, it, it all seeks to erase these distinctions. It's see- seeking to destroy this structure that God has designed. But people cannot thrive unless you are seeking to live out your God-given place and role in life. And the effect of the fall into sin leaves us with this struggle with this authority struggle. We see that between children and parents. We see that between husband and wife. There's, there's fighting, there's arguing, there's, there's trying to dominate each other or manipulate each other. Satan deceived Eve, and that sin caused her to, to deceive Adam, and that sin turned the creation order upside down. 
And so the sinful heart does not want to submit to God's ways. It does not want to submit to the authority that God has put into this world. But then we also see how Christ has come into this world in these last verses of chapter 22, where He Himself, who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, took upon Him the form of man and subjected Himself to the lowest place, to submit Himself willingly for the purpose of saving sinners who have destroyed that authority structure. And so for wives, when God saves your soul, He also gives a willing spirit to submit to what God has placed for you in the bond of marriage, a husband to lead, an authority structure, and a a godly wife will seek to submit to her husband in the fear of the Lord. And we'll see that more clearly as we go on here, because the next question we answer is not only what, but why. Why is Peter emphasizing the necessity for a believing wife to submit herself to her husband? And he he, he emphasizes here the believing wife, the, the Christian wife, because an unbelieving wife cannot, is not subject to the law of God, Romans 8, 8 says, and neither can be, and therefore she will either not, neither be subject to her husband's authority, not in a godly way, even though they are a must. But here he is speaking to believing women. And so the context is very important here to understand. Peter is writing here to the persecuted church. He's writing in the first century after Christ, He's writing at a time of Roman domination and at a time when the gospel is really starting to spread through these parts of the world. And the wives in those days and those cultures were expected to follow the religion of their husbands and to follow their every word and say. And about as we read in in the scriptures how when the husband believed like the jailer the whole household became baptized. They followed his lead. But in ancient civilization, the women had no rights like they do today. They say even under Jewish law, the women was seen as owned by her husband. In Greek civilization, similar thing. The women were to obey their husband, stay inside. Under Roman law, a woman had no rights, but was under the power of her father until she was married and she came under the power of her husband. So what would happen if one of these women was saved under the gospel when she was married to to um, this man? If she, like Lydia, heard the gospel at the riverside and was saved but went home, or maybe her husband was there as well, but her husband did not believe, it would be difficult or even impossible for her to, to go against her husband's religion. For her to continue or to try to change the household or to continue speaking about these things would seem as contradicting her husband's will and way. In our culture, it, it almost seems it's the opposite, opposite extreme. Any mention of male authority is often seen as backwards or old-fashioned or chauvinistic. 
or to say that there's a God-ordained structure. And that's even, that even leaks into the church. As Paul said in 1 Timothy 2, where women are not permitted to teach or have authority over man in the church. It has to do with the authority structure that God has placed. That doesn't mean anything that one person is better than another. But today has come so far that women not only want to take the roles of man, but they also want to become men and vice versa. And the whole idea of authority is, is eroded. But here, Peter is addressing the concerns of a wife who was saved by the preaching of her gospel, but the husband rejects it, remains un, an unbeliever. And he says in one, verse 1b, he says that even if some do not obey the word. So this implies that the husbands have heard. They did not obey. They did not believe. They're not convinced. They, they reject it. So how then is the wife, this wife supposed to live in this home? And this still happens in, in many countries around the world where women are saved and yet their husbands are either a Muslim or a Buddhist or, and often they get removed from the home. And if she doesn't follow their, his pagan religion, she's considered as unfaithful. And so it's in this context that Peter is telling these wives, be submissive to your own husbands. Why? Well, it doesn't, there's a few things that it doesn't mean. And it doesn't mean that they now have to obey everything or still obey everything that the husband has to say, even if it's contrary to God's Word. It doesn't mean that they have to conform to the unbeliever's ideas. It does not mean that they have to simply submit out of fear of, of abuse or punishing or angering him. It does not mean that they are to submit out of, out of weakness or, or coercion. But submission is freely uh, committing yourself to them in the bond of marriage under God, as the Bible calls us to cleave, uh, husbands and wife to cleave to one another. The wife is then committed to be that helper, to be that suitable helper that God has created her for, to be his partner, to be a strength, to be a support, even recognizing that he is still an unbeliever. And because her desire is to be a God-fearing wife in the circumstance, to do the will of God where God has found her, it means to be a loving and loving, to, to lovingly to honor and respect her husband as the rightful leader in the home. But it doesn't mean, as I said earlier, that she can go against God's law. If he requires her to do something against God's word, then she must lovingly reject and still submit to her husband, but not disobey God, must obey God rather than man. That's a similar uh, application that we've seen in, in all these scenarios of, of authority. And so again, we can say that if Peter here calls these wives to lovingly submit to their husbands in this circumstance while their husbands are alienated from God, how much more wives here today does it call you to submit to your husband who God has given you, who also believe in God? And how does it humble us 
that God has given us a husband or a wife who does fear the Lord, who does believe in God's creation order and structure. But then we can go further and, and to this why question and say now, to what purpose or to what end? What's the, what's the goal of this submitting to the husband in such a, a trying time? He says, so, or verse 1, there, the second sentence, so that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be one, but a conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. So Peter is saying that if the Word of God has not yet had its effect on the husband, the wife must continue to live in submission to her husband with the desire, with the intent that he will see her godly conduct and also be won over to the, to the gospel. If you read some of the stories of the people that are saved in these persecuted countries, that's often how it is. When they see the changed life of their spouse, it also makes them ask those questions, why? What happened? You can think of a Samaritan woman who, who came to the Lord Jesus, she, and even though she had no husband at this time anymore, she ran back to the city and, and said, is this not the Christ? He's told me everything I've, I've did, and all the people came to hear, and others also came to believe. There was a, a noted difference in her life, even in that short time. And so Peter is counseling these wives to live godly and holy with the desire to lead their husbands to Christ so that they might be saved. It's the attitude of submission that glorifies God and His created order. It shows a deep love and a deep respect and an honor to your husband. You do not want to show any animosity, even though they don't know Christ. You, you, you still love Him for who He is. And you love Him even more than before you were saved. And you love God's purpose for your husband in your life, the purpose that God has created him for. And so this attitude is to reflect the image of Christ, that through the wife, the husband can also begin to see the grace of God and the example of Christ worked out in her. Ephesians 5 says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church and He is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. Just like the church, this congregation of people, we are subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their husband in everything. You live as unto the Lord. And that's what was Peter's reasoning here with the other groups of authority as well. First, it should be that Christian attitude to, to live like Christ, to be sanctified in our own hearts, to, to follow the example of Christ in whatever role that God has placed us, whether wife or husband or citizen or slave, for the glory of God. And he said in verse, chapter 2, verse 19, that you for conscience sakes toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully, it is commendable to God. 
You live for the glory of God, for the, for the will of God, even if we have to suffer wrongfully. Or in verse 15 of chapter 2, when he's speaking about submission to authorities, he said, For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. So Christians are to live in this world doing good, and you translate that to the wives. You are to, for, you may, to, to live by doing good, to put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, and those foolish men may be your husbands. Also in verse 12, our conduct must be honorable among the Gentiles, so that by your good works which they observe, they may glorify God in the day of visitation. And again, there it was, whether they would be saved or whether they'd be judged at the end of time and acknowledge that God is God and right is right. And so for some of these people, these unbelieving Gentiles were still their husbands. And so here Peter focuses and narrows that down now to the believing wife with an unbelieving husband. And your desire then is, that your husband would be saved, that your husband would see the change that God has worked in your heart, and you desire that God will do the same for him. Because many of these people, if you, you speak with Christians in, in general, they acknowledge that the change that God worked in them was not something they could have done themselves. Whether they forsook their old work or their own life, it was a change that they themselves have to acknowledge that God made. And you desire this then for your husband as well. That God would change in him what you cannot change for them. And they will see that whereas before maybe your passion and your desires were for this world and for its pleasures and for the money or for your, your work. But now your love and desire and service is for Christ. He will notice your loving service, your, your submissive attitude, your, your patient understanding in the trying circumstances. When before he saw a woman much like himself with self-interest, always wanting your own way, but now he sees one seeking your best interest, the best interest of her husband, the glory of God. And again, if we go back into what Peter was saying earlier in chapter 2, verse 1, he'll see that you've laid aside those sins of malice and deceit. You've laid aside those sins that caused Eve to fall and which made Adam fall, the deceit, pride. You'll notice that you don't react with those fleshly passions, those fresh, fleshly lusts of anger or a bitter spirit anymore, but you're abstained first. Chapter 2, verse 11, you abstain from these fleshly lusts of envy, jealousy, anger. These lusts which war against your own soul and which you know will war against the soul of your husband. He will notice now that a gentle word turns away strife. He will notice. How many of you here are thinking, well, that doesn't apply to me because we're both saved? Well, even if that is the case, 
Every believing husband needs to be sanctified. Every believing wife needs to be sanctified and grow in grace. And God will use you as a wife for the sanctification of your husband and a husband for the sanctification of his wife. The same principles apply. By the grace of God in your lives, you teach and lead each other to life, to, to Christ. Where your reaction in the moment will either soften or harden, will either ignite the fire of controversy or, or cool it down, will either show the example of Christ or not. So this applies both for the situation where the wives still have an unbelieving husband or where both believe in the Lord Jesus. But Peter says here, he does not mean here that it's only your life anymore or only your life without the Word of God. Peter does not mean here that now these Christians had to live silently without ever speaking the Word of God again, because no one can be saved without the Word of God. And even though these men had heard it and rejected it, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And so a person has to hear to believe. The gospel is communicated by words. Evangelism is sharing the good news. But Peter here is using a play on words to, to emphasize what he's saying. And he's, he says the wives are to remain silent without a word, I mean without her own word, so that the husbands who are disobedient to the word, to the word of God, might be converted. Or you could write it slightly different and say, if the husband is disobedient to the word of God, the wife's obedience without her words may be used for his conversion. See how Peter is kind of have the play on the words with, with the word of God and the word of the woman. And so what Peter's really saying here is that it's not a lot of speaking. It's not a lot of words that's going to help. You can't be just preaching at your husband or nagging him continually because Proverbs says in 19 verse 13, the contentions of a wife are like a continual dripping, like a leaking tap will get irritating if you continually bring it up. But rather let your words be few. Let it be backed with the life of godliness. Let him see and explain why. Let him see the effect of the word of God in your life. And then his words will have meaning. And his words will stick. And the effect of God's word will draw him to Christ as well. They will feel that change in the home. When they see that strength of the marriage bond, when, when the wife is a real helper, a real suitable helpmeet to her husband, the supporter and respecter of him, who, 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 who helps him, who, who builds him up, who never cuts him down or speaks evil of him. Because you realize the only way his heart can change is by the grace of God, just as it was for yourself. A 
And that's often how it works in places of persecution. Especially where in some of these countries they're not free to speak of Christ wherever they go. And so often it has to be led with a life of example till they can find that opportunity to speak to the people. But a few words to the husbands then again. Peter does address the husbands later. But here, husbands, you must lead. You must take that role of authority that God has placed upon you. And that does not mean that you boss them around or treat them as a slave, but it's leading your wife and children. When your wife, when your wife is called to submit to her husband, it does not mean that she has no rights like the slaves were treated in those days, but it means you have been given the burden and the responsibility by God to provide her needs whether that's spiritual, physical, emotional, mental, social. You've been given a role to provide. And if she is to submit to your authority, it means she needs to be able to entrust her whole life to you under God. That's a high responsibility. Do we realize what God is placing on the shoulders of the husbands? when he's telling the women to submit to their husbands. But wives, you can encourage and remind your husbands. You can, in a way, lead with that example of submission, seeking his leading, encouraging them to lead, to be the shepherd, to be the prophet, priest, and king in the home, as men are called to be. But if your husband doesn't provide for these things as it was the case for these women, your strength ultimately is found in the Lord. Psalm 84 says, Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee, in God. And so the women, as each individual person is, is called to continue to seek to feed your own faith and strength by the grace of God in His Word through the reading and studying of God's Word. And this goes for the unmarried as well as you pray to God for His leading in your future, whether you remain single or whether He has a spouse in mind for you. It's these principles that we need to learn to live by. But wives can pray often for your husband that he will be able, that God will give him the grace to be the man, to be the husband that He's called him to be, to encourage him to take up that role, whether that is in family devotions, around mealtimes to lead in prayer and reading of the Bible. But if the husband does not participate, the wives, these believing wives, would need to go on their own. They would need to go to the fellowship of believers, to the church by themselves. They would need to go to the Bible studies. They would need to read the Bible for themselves, to they need to do it not only for themselves, but also to show the importance of this for their soul to their husband, to show that they cannot live without the feeding of God, without the means that God has given to strengthen their faith. They cannot neglect the assembling with God's people. 
And so if it causes a controversy in the home, Peter is saying, submit all the more. Show yourself as willing to follow his lead, but showing most of all that your love for God and his grace is the ultimate thing in your life, to serve God and to desire for his soul. Amen.